millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. Hello, welcome to A Funny Taste in Music. My name's Andrew Bird. Now, this has to be a quick intro because Paul the producer has to do something very quickly. And more importantly, me and Ivo discussed how annoying it is when you listen to a podcast and the introduction goes on and rambles on and on. So we've discussed three minutes max. I want to make it quicker than that. So A Funny Taste in Music, Ivo Graham, brilliant comedian. Uh, There's going to be a Spotify playlist that's going to go along with it. Please donate to the Patreon page. Here we go. Some adverts, then Ivo Graham. I hope that was quick enough for you, Ivo. All right, mate, cheers. A funny taste in music. The interview, next. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I recorded intro and put it on the start. Classic podcast. Of course, don't make it too long, though, Birdie. I can't bear those. No, no, me neither. By all means, you know, talk a little bit about your life and what you've got coming up. But three mins, max. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Don't waffle on and make it all about yourself. Some of those American ones, you're skipping 15 seconds, 15 seconds, 15 seconds, just trying to find the podcast you've signed up for. Yeah, yeah. I want to listen to the podcast, not you aimlessly waffle about yourself. (laughs) 
and uh, your life. I didn't get, know I felt that strongly about it, to be honest, but it's really No, I do. Yeah. No, me too. Get into the meat of it. We've already got to wade through adverts. Yeah. Don't you go on about yourself for ages. Who are the adverts yeah. um, going to be for on this episode? If, if, if you can tell me that at this um, I think it's some kind of um, some kind of crockery. Lovely. How wholesome. Yeah, some kind of crockery uh, outlet, I think it is, and we and there's a local butchers. Lovely they stuff get as they well. get they get a lot of advertising space on Spotify. <laughs> They're doing well for themselves. I mean, um, I, I, <laughs> I asked that as if there were going to be any products where I would have walked away. Um, I'll, I'll have a guest on a podcast that advertises anything, but lovely to know there's crockery at the end of the <laughs> end of the road. Do you, are you, do you get like that? Are you that strong about some things that uh, you won't listen or partake no, in things? Because no, oh, I, I, mean, I am, I am. I don't do any Amazon. Yes, I'm trying to do no Amazon, um, which is uh, such as a cliched thing, but it is it is good. Um, it is good to do. I mean, I watch. I do. I've got the Prime, and I and I've, I do watch things on it. But I think not using it for the deliveries is a a good way to you know try and boycott it and send your money elsewhere. But also, it slows down the impatience that I've started to feel that you tend to take for granted with the with the Prime, where you just need things within a day. Wait, you, you so rarely do. And you know, if, if if anything, you know, waiting three to five working days for a book you're looking forward to reading just builds the anticipation. Oh, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, well, that's that's good. I'm I'm, I'm glad we're on the same same page and, about that. And you give yourself just enough time to slightly forget you've ordered it. So it feels like a nice surprise when it That's arrives. Exactly. Whereas Amazon, the, the Amazon dream, which I'm sure we realised in the next year or two, will be for you to order it and the man to be at your door within half an hour. But yeah, order, forget, and then delight anew. That's, that's exactly, that's the timeline I go for. All of that being said, it really bailed me out at Christmas. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we do, we do give in occasionally. No how and um, we try to be. What's he called? The uh, owner of Amazon belt thingy? Jeff Bezos, I believe. Jeff. Bezos. I don't know if he's... I don't know if my boycott of Amazon has made a chink (laughs) in his overall overall gross earnings. I don't know if he's got a pie chart, if they've had a meeting, if I've been mentioned. The problem is, uh, but is, is I think... It's been such a good year for Amazon, what with uh, the lockdowns and all, that... I think the, the the pros have outweighed the cons for Jeff. I think in maybe 2018, your boycott would really have uh, really made an impact. But yeah. I think it's still a net gain. Um, yeah, overall, probably over the year. People's you know morals may have crept up a little, but their dependence has crept up a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What motherfucker? He's gained out of a pandemic. It was all. It was already doing all right. Hmm. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm a big, you know, I'm, I'm not so uh, cold and bitter about the pandemic that I begrudge anyone who's done well out of it. You know, some of our peers have made some very funny online comedy. Fair play to them. Um, people who do home exercise classes. Uh, yeah. You know, even even Joe Wicks, who maybe dominates the market a little bit too much. Fair play. Getting the nation fit. But just making people more and more dependent on their instant deliveries and making it so hard even to buy. I was trying to buy the most recent Red Hot Chili Peppers album for someone as a joke. And we can get on to why it was a joke later on. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, but I was finding it very difficult to find somewhere to buy it online that wasn't uh, Amazon or a, or a subsidiary. It is. 
Yeah, I say, it, I said, you know, I do, I do Google for 20 seconds instead of five seconds. It's, it hardly destroyed my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. HMV is not so good online, is it? And their, no. websi- their website's not easy to, f- like, to find stuff. I don't know why. It's just not that easy. And HMV, some talk- I don't know how you feel about this. When you see an album for like fourteen ninety nine, you just think, what world do you yeah. think we live in? HMV. What do you think? Do you think there's people? They're really relying on the people out there that have no access to the internet. Other than that, <laughs> the problem with HMV is even though they have become uh, in recent years just as much of a, a sort of figure of pity as pretty much any other non-Amazon retail outlet, they're yeah. still in my mind, and I imagine in most music fans' minds. A, yeah. a, a sort of big business, a, a colossus who probably made their shareholders a lot of money if they got out at the right time. Um, yeah. I'm not against uh, paying uh, for me, paying too much for music, or indeed paying for music at all, which you can you know get away without doing if, if you're so inclined. But um, but there's a there's a, there's one of the few remaining proper independent record shops uh, in uh, Marlborough in Wiltshire near where I grew up. Um, it's a lovely shop called Sound Knowledge. And me and my dad go there whenever we're at home and sort of spend a, a sort of condescending amount of money on CDs we've already sort of listened to to death on Spotify because it makes us feel like valid music fans. And you're paying 12 or 13 pounds sometimes for that then. But it feels a bit more of a wholesome transaction than it going to even HMV. Oh, this, this is good to hear. Ivo, mm. I love that. Yeah, you really feel, you really feel smug about yourself, like you're buying organic veg. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which I don't this, do. Absolutely, no, I'm happy to get my veg from Tesco, but then I pop across to Sound Knowledge and pay thirteen pounds for the Heim album. Um, yeah, to offset it. It's like planting a tree. <laughs> well, I mean, you feel what's what's so weird is that. Um, I think we're so invested in the idea that we're we're sort of contributing to this tree, this 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 shop, so knowledge. That actually, my dad went uh, over Christmas and he chatted to Roger, who works there, and he said, um, he, <laughs> he said, uh, he said, no, Roger says it because I said, oh, Roger, it must have been quite a hard year for the shop. And dad said, no, Roger says they're doing all right, and I was obviously you know delighted to hear that, but part of me also felt that means there are more benefactors than just us. <laughs> I sort of, I almost. I obviously don't want the shop to, to perish, but I, no. I want to have the very real sense that, it, that it's dependent on, on me and my dad alone keeping it afloat. Whereas the thought that it's fine is like, oh, right, so it's, he's just as rich as Jeff, which, which obviously <laughs> I, I, I suspect Roger is not as rich as Jeff. Wow, the fact that you know the name of the person in the record shop, I love that. Oh, he's, listen, to, I'm sure many of his clients, he's, it's just as much Roger's as Sound Knowledge. Not to take anything away from his uh, very nice... Uh, assistants whose names I can't remember, even though I've chatted to them a couple of times and they've made some superb recommendations. But there we go. It's it's it's, it's lovely, and even that is I know a cliche being a music fan of talking about sort of record shops. It does sell records. I don't buy records there; I buy CDs there. But it's you know it's still got already quite an old world charm compared to just streaming everything to death. Oh yeah. Oh, this is good to hear. I mean, and I should say immediately that you're uh, you're younger than me. Mm. You're the you're the first person I've had on who's uh, you know, markably younger than me. Last week was the brilliant Matt Ford, who's oh, only lovely, only a couple years younger than me. So feels about the same age, but you're a, a good bit younger than me. So to, I think to to place you, as in what music you would maybe listen to, roughly, what year 
Were you 15? Um, I was. Fi- I turned 15 in 2005. Oh, so you're um, pretty much 10 years younger than me then. Lovely. That's a good. You're a generation of music younger. This well, is good. that's nice. Because, yeah, I mean, I think of us as, as sort of, you know, not, not, not markedly different in age and stage. And 4D, uh, maybe just through sort of having worked with him a lot, I've started to feel, if I may say, uh, even a bit of a peer of his. But then music marks you out so much because 4D is obviously Mr. Britpop. Though, of course, his, you know... Uh, though I've not listened to his episode, his tastes are, are, are I'm sure, more varied um, than, than oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We spent, we spent uh, an, uh, you know, an unforeseen amount of time talking about Bewitched and Eternal. You'll be happy to know. Over, Lovely. Over. Well, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the man is, is what a it's tapestry. About. Um, oh, he certainly is. He is. Just when you think you know him, just when you think you know him, <laughs> he's got more to offer, Fordy. But yeah. I still think that the, the this central dynamic at the heart of Map Ford is the fact that he not only likes Oasis but thinks that Be Here Now is their best album. That's what I think when I think uh, that was, Don't you worry, that was discussed as well. Good. So, yeah, yeah. Whereas that's so that's one generation of British guitar rock, whereas I would say I'm more um the people that came through in, in the sort of mid noughties indie boom. Uh, and I'm an Ar- Arctic Monkeys man, a a, a a Franz Ferdinand man. Oh, this is great. I mean, when I messaged you about coming on and you said, like, nearly apologetically said, well, if you don't mind talking about mid-noughties indie, I was like, you what? This is exactly what I want. Well, that's fantastic to hear. Because I'll I'll be honest with you, a lot of these episodes, I'm sure you've listened. I mean, they're everywhere. They're they're escapable, this podcast now. It's massive. That China shop Um, is sold out, actually. It's done so (laughs) <laughs> um that uh i'll be honest with you ivo we've there's been there's been a lot of old old duffers on here banging on about fuck the smiths i saw the sex pistols all that bullshit and quite frankly i'm getting sick of these people it's well, about time there was a bit of youth and that is going to be you well that's nice to i mean that really captures exactly where i am in my life age and sort of perception of myself because i'll be honest there are points and I don't mean to make you feel, you know, even more old and wise by comparison. But as a greying 30-year-old with a young child, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to, you know, lose my edge. Um, I, particularly, in, <laughs> particularly in lockdown, which has aged us all about five years. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm increasingly sort of trying to keep up with, uh, you know, new pop trends. Finding that I don't know as many bands on festival lineups. Not that any of the festivals are happening, but... Um, yeah. So actually, to come into a relaxed environment where the fact that I'm into uh, a load of bands, many of whom released their best work 15 years ago, and that still makes me the sort of spring chicken that you're delighted to have on the podcast. I'm yeah. very happy with that from a oh, from no. perspective. You're, you're, well, you're just uh, and to get, you know, the people that haven't seen you or, that, you know, to you, how can I put it, politely... I don't want to Please. sound like I'm having a go. Uh, you, Stick the you, had a, you had a nice upbringing. You, uh, I did have a nice upbringing. I'd be yes. churlish to complain about any aspect of my upbringing yes, other than yeah. being homesick at boarding school, which was also very much part of the part of the plan. Well, not part uh, of the plan. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what your parents are looking forward to about it, but they know <laughs> that it's a risk. Do you think that's the long-term plan of parents with boarding school? You know what they say, absence makes a heart grow fonder. <laughs> I, don't. Listen, I, I think it's a high-risk strategy, but it yeah. sort of worked. I'm very yeah. fond of my parents. Maybe I'd be well, even fonder just, of them. If you've I'd, just uh, said you go record shopping with your dad. There's not a lot of people who went to, you know, 
normal comprehensive <laughs> schools that go see Roger with their dad. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sure his clientele uh, exists ac- across the school spectrum. But oh, yes, of course. But, um, um, or, or, although not, you know, maybe you've, you've you've got to have a bit knocking about in your pocket to pay twelve or thirteen pounds as established for music. Oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, um, um, I, yeah, I, I went. To, I, I, I had a nice upbringing and a nice education, and parents who managed to convey the fact that they loved me, despite the fact that they were happy not to see me for weeks at a time. And that is a <laughs> that's a magic you know, trick. It really is. They really pull that off as parents, as as like young parents that we are. You've you've got to admire that. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes. I mean, I, I, listen. I I wouldn't. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not here to discuss the uh, relative merits and demerits of boarding school. I don't think I would send my daughter or any other children now. I think it's already feeling quite outdated as an institution, and I can't afford it. But um, I also think that there are things, as well as having you know quite a, a nice education and there were nice sort of fields to play football in and stuff. But also, um, I do like a bit of it, the emotional hardiness it's given me. Some would call it repression, um, mm-hmm. but the, the fact that I don't know. I, I I feel it very plugged into my feelings, of course, but I don't miss things loads because I sort of learned how to not miss them too much while I was at school. God, I've never, I've not sort of reached this deep into myself outside of a therapy session, and I'm here to talk about Franz Ferdinand. But the, oh, the no, point how? is, the point is that I don't feel I was really traumatized by by boarding school, and I'm still able to really, you know, emotionally invest in some of my favourite music. Yeah, listen, I have not got the qualifications or empathy to deal with your emotions. So let's, <laughs> Great, t- let's talk about Franz Ferdinand, shall we? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I where, where was I going no, no. with it? I don't, yes. I don't know how that happened. But, the, yeah, lockdown has done this kind of thing to a lot of us, to be fair. With, fair. Uh, we've, we've, all, we've all reached meltdowns at different points. But, um, but, yeah, no, but you are keeping it real as well. You went to boarding school, but you, su- you support Swindon. So, in many ways, you're keeping it, some would say, too real. To, but, yeah, um, it's, it's feeling very real this season and some would say if they were being very cynical that me supporting Swindon and banging on about it as much as I have mm. is, uh, is is almost an attempt to sort of balance out the Eton, shall we say. And you think? Well, listen, it's not, it's not I, quite David Cameron, I support Aston Villa, come on. Or West Ham, even he you can't go, remember. No, you go um, to games, you put in more effort than your average football fan. Well, so that's, that's what fair. I would say. I'd, yeah, if, 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 if it is uh, a lie, then I really am committing to it. Um, oh yeah, you're really going deep with this lie. You're living, you're living the role. You're like, you're like a, you're like a uh, undercover detective, like in The Departed. <laughs> I haven't seen The Departed, and I know that I should, but it's very long. Um, maybe that's it is very long, but check. trust me, that was a cracking reference. All right, well, listen, I'll, te- I'll watch it and I'll text you. But yeah, even well, that, I'm not, you know, my my posh uncle takes me to watch Chelsea sometimes, and I'm happy to admit that as well. But I go under my own steam and my own finances to watch Swindon Town play lower league dirge football, uh, and it's <laughs> and it's a and it's a pleasure. It really is. Good man. So you're you're um. So you're 10 years younger than me. That's quite good. That's good that I am. Um, so you're at that stage where I was, I was like, when, because I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so didn't see much live music. So the music you're into was when I lived in London and I was mad going to gigs. because oh, great. I, I, I couldn't believe that, because I grew up in Northamptonshire where the, you didn't really see live gigs. There was no buses there was just there was the road mender, which was quite a good venue. I didn't know how I'd get there, you know. So play the, the, I only know through the circuit, but the, the picture drone did bands come to the picture drone? I think they did a bit, but not, you know. I couldn't. 
for me to get there from where I lived, you're mm. talking a £25 taxi journey home because you couldn't yep. get a bus. So, so I didn't see live bands. It. Yeah. it was going to the pub, jukebox was the music, how I engage with music as a teenager. But when I moved to London, it blew my mind. I lived in Balham and Streatham. So it blew my mind I could get a bus to Brixton Academy. Oh, man. I could get the, in London. I could get the tube to, you know, to a gig and be home in like half an hour it blew my mind and the pub i worked in the bedford where, where oh, the banana man. cabaret is is a brilliant brilliant music venue i didn't know that you worked at the bedford and i also didn't know it was a music venue although obviously that makes sense that was the first place i ever watched stand up um was it? It, was, it was the thing that i re- remember me sort of you know to use the old cliche made me realize it was a, a real job that people did in pubs and not just what was on telly i saw ah. Such Who a, did you such see? A, this is just the ultimate posh cliche. I saw Simon Evans being very dry at, the, <laughs> at Banana Cabaret. Uh, and I thought, yes, um, I too can witter year, on about privilege. What year would that have been? Um, I could put a month on it. I would say that was in December 2008. Oh, no, I'd left by then. I left two. I left... Uh, I remember the date, July the 6th, 2005, because the day after was the 7-7 bombings. Right. (laughs) So I left the pub, got hammered, woke up, turned the news on to that. Um, But uh, So I'd left by then. But, yeah, the Bedford is more of a music venue than a... Well, it was. I don't know what it's like now. It used to be an amazing music... My wife, she worked beyond the bar as a manager. When I left, she became manager. And as we all know, a bar manager is basically a barman that hasn't left. Um, yes. That was me for a while. Uh, so, but she remembers at the bar, um, this young lad who wasn't old enough to drink in there was one of the musicians and everyone was going on about how great he is. And he gave her a demo and she, we, we were starting, to, we were courting at the time. It's a word I'm sure you'd use, Ivo. <laughs> you'd, you'd be a fan of. Um <laughs> I remember her saying to me, oh, you've got to come in. This this young lad's on who's amazing, apparently. You've got to come in and see him on your way back from your gig. So I went in and saw him. Can't remember much about it. Paolo Natini. Oh, wow. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, you made me wait for that name. And yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> Natini is, and I'm embarrassed to say I'm, I'm not massively familiar with Natini's work apart from a lovely song called New Shoes. Is it New Shoes? Yeah, uh, I think so, yes. Yeah, um, but- but I mean, it's a hell, it's a it's a hell of a person to have just been given a demo by, and also it's so nice to imagine anyone who's now massive being at the handing demos over the bar stage, being underaged in a mm. pub they're playing and handing over de- CD demos, yeah, which, which she now can't find. But so I was the yeah mid mid to mid noughties indie was I was constantly going to gigs around two thousand three four five. Then uh, right up until 2009, where I got married, like you, have young children, then the thought of going to a live gig, you know now, is such an investment. Whereas I used to see bands that were playing that night. I remember someone going, Libertines are doing Brixton Academy tonight. I know someone who might get tickets. You're going. You're ever so young. That was it. just Just a spontaneous trip to the Libertines at five hours notice. Unbelievable. Weeks in the planning. Babysitters yeah. lined up at a fortnight's notice. It's yeah. mind-blowing now. So what... Uh, so sort of... 
Would you agree with my um, claim earlier that the Brixton Academy is the, the best venue in London, or are we just both being nostalgic for it because we both lived in South London and gone to a lot of gigs there? Um, I, for a long time, would I would agree with that um, because I've said a few times in Brixton, the way it slopes wherever mm. you stand, wherever you stand, if you're That's standing, it. is a good view. That's it. There's there's no bad place to be in Brixton. Like uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire is good, but there's big pillars and there's like a balcony over you where you feel like but brixton it just yeah it feels feels massive and small at the same time weirdly i don't know how they do that but i can um, add nothing to that summary of it i think it's uh i think it's beautiful and in this live musicless period of history it's making me feel quite sad to be honest yeah me too the only downside with brixton is it's in brixton so there are going to be a lot of nutters in there. Uh, yes, I suppose so. But then a, a certain nutter contingent adds to the adds to the sort of thrill of a live gig, doesn't it? Certainly compared to a gig where there's no atmosphere at all. Um, yeah. Or whether it's just phone central. That's that's one of my middle aged things to uh, lament. Oh, I went to watch, that's. I went, I went to watch yeah. the XX at Brixton Academy about three years ago, and they were phenomenal. And they've got a very young audience, and fair play to them. Um, but it was uh, it was just it was just all phones. And that's I, I, funny you say that. I um, that's just made me realise that when I stopped watching gigs so often, that it was phones were still not everyone was. Yeah. You, you were just starting to notice it. It was just starting to be a oh that's annoying. Put your phone down. That was just yeah. starting. So now for you, those gigs, it's just a, just a norm. I think it is the norm. And again, you, you, you'd be mad to waste too much of your energy on, on getting cross with it. And, and, and also, I, I waste so much time watching uh, concert footage on YouTube. So in a way, I've got to be thankful to some of these people who've, uh, who've recorded it all for me stuck at home. But yeah. increasingly, most gigs have a, you know, particularly stuff at like festivals there's an official recording of it or the band put out something on YouTube of it and just everyone with their, with their wobbly sort of handheld stuff. It's just, it's a shame. I watched a band also at Brixton Academy uh, called Public Service Broadcasting about five years ago. And it was one of the best gigs I've been to. Um, I think I think they're wonderful, but also they, and, and, and their stuff is very atmospheric. It's, and this is going to sound unbelievably wanky. Are you familiar with their work? No. Well, it's all about... um, It's not all about history. I don't want to sound too bookish. But they're lovely tweed-wearing beta males whose songs, though they have lovely sort of rhythmic chunk to them uh, and uh, and instrumental flourishes, they're also all rooted around historical events and they use sort of crackly uh, archive, like vocal footage. They did a whole album, which they were touring at the time, about um, the race for space and, uh, you know, Sputnik and and things. And so they had this amazing stage show to capture that. And they have songs where it goes, you know, it goes silent in the middle one to capture Apollo disappearing behind the moon. And all of those moments were so uh, poignant at Brixton Academy because they'd had this really funny skit at the beginning before they came out which basically lightheartedly mocked people who, who uh, got their phones out at gigs and basically oh, said, nice. if you get your phone out, you, you're going to ruin it and people are going to think you're a bit of a bell end. And the, it was just heaven. 
Not a phone in the air, Bertie. Anyway, that's enough of that. I'm 30 years old. Going on 50. What What a good tactic, though. What a good tactic just to make a... You know, instead of going the uh, Chris Rock, your phone's in bags on the way mm. in. They've, they've yeah. gone more subtle. They've played on the emotions. They've, we'll leave it up to you, but uh, this is how we feel about it. Well, maybe, I suppose, at, at sort of touring indie band level, uh, maybe the costs of doing that, whatever it's called, yonder phone oh, patch yeah. thing, would, <laughs> yeah. would, would be on a point. massive loss compared to just <laughs> yeah. a, a pre-recorded skit you can play over the tannoy. Uh, yeah. Uh, that being the, said... Uh, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they've got more artistic with it. But, yeah, you're right. I went, I went to one of those comedy gigs where you had to put your phone in a pouch. And it did make the atmosphere a lot more special. And I talked to my friend in the intervals and it was real. So I, I do like that. I do like it. I've never been to one of those, but that is, I do agree with it. Completely agree with it. But so you've gone to Brixton a lot. Where did you live in South London again? Well, I lived in Stockwell with my gran for a year. Um, so that was very oh, nice yeah. for easy Brixton access. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. That, that, that me too. Wasn't why I lived with my gran. Um, I lived with her because <laughs> yeah. uh, she's a lovely grandmother, and I was uh, cash light. Um, yeah. the first year yeah. out of uni, but uh, doing, stand, doing stand up. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't ring your gran and say, "Oh, gran, uh, you got a spare room? How convenient are the live music venues to you? Just down the just down the Victoria line. Good work, gran. We'll make the bed up." Not even does it Victorian. A lovely walk. A lovely, oh, yeah, of course. A lovely bracing walk to the Brixton Academy. Never managed to persuade Grandma to come with me, sadly. Um, oh, that is was, a shame. <laughs> even, even, to, even to the history-based public service broadcasting gig, which she might genuinely have enjoyed for a sort of nostalgic perspective. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. that'd be right up her alley, that, surely. But uh, she wasn't... No, she was... <laughs> she wasn't in uh, mid-noughties no, indie. She, it's hard to say what she was into, and we did have lots of lovely chats about lots of lovely topics while I lived with her, but they were never about um, how the Arctic Monkeys demos were better than the songs that ended up on the album. So that's funny. You lived in Stockwell, just down the road from Brixton. So you were, so yeah, when you see bands that you like or kind of interested in, or even to the point where you don't even know them that well, but people are talking about them a bit, if they're at Brixton, you're like, well, I'm going. Like, I didn't know who the Libertines really were. That much. Who the Libertines were? What year was this? Uh, This would have been 2003. Oh, okay. So really the most exciting time to see the Libertines. It was, it was just as they were, it was just as they were, I saw them just as everyone was talking about them and they were going massive and people, and then Pete Dockett was just starting to be in the papers and stuff. So it was around that, that time. It was I like seeing the Sex Pistols when the Sex Pistols first started. It was that level of that's how it felt. Everyone was like, Whoa. but I'll admit the actual gig sounded like one long slurge <laughs> of music. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't pick out one song from the other. Well, as I think, as the dust has settled on the Libertines, the, you know the romance of it will never go. But and, and some of the songwriting is great, but it's a bit of a mess at points. Yeah. And that is part of its charm. But yeah, I can imagine as a live gig, just purely in terms of sort of, you know, musical aesthetics, it might not have been perfect. But just to say you were there. Whereas yeah. I, I mean, I can't really say that I've got much, um, you know, I, I know what having seen the Sex Pistols would mean. But actually, I'm not really interested in that, whereas I'd have loved to have seen an early Libertines gig. And there's still a delay between me and you because you're now in the mid noughties you know, as, as an adult living in London, going to these gigs. 
having not got to see anything you wanted to in the 90s. Whereas yes. I'm mostly going to gigs in the, whatever you'd call the next decade, the 10s, um, having been at boarding school in the mid-noughties and not really able to go and see most of the things that I wanted to then. I really didn't start going to gigs regularly until I was at uni in sort of 2009, 10. It's good that we're exactly 10 years apart. So I've got the thing of, yeah, in the mid-noughties, not seeing the bands in the 90s, and you are now, you know, wanting to see I'm the catching bands. catching up. I, you know, I, I've spent 10 years catching up on some of the things I'd really have liked to have seen uh, in 2005. Um, yeah. So actually, you know, my bedroom as a teenager was just plastered with posters for tours from NMEs that I'd cut up. And uh, I wasn't trying to sort of cultivate the impression to any visitor, not that it was a much visited bedroom, that I'd been to these <laughs> concerts because I'd been to literally none of them. But just I thought the posters were cool. And so I was, you know, I was, I was dreaming of a life that I was restricted but from having. There was, there was definitely a time in the mid-noughties that I remember, go maybe I'm saying that because I was going to the gigs all the time, but there was a time where it was uh, Kasabian, Jet, I loved Jet. Uh, Kasabian, Jet, um, Arctic Monkeys, Athlete. Loved Athlete. <laughs> Athlete were great. That I, first I'm album happy. was phenomenal. I think the first couple of Athlete, I mean, I, I, I tend to stick with bands loyally past their commercial peak. So I'm a big fan of Athlete's third Me too. album. But I do recognise that one and two were the, were the big ones. And also, I'm delighted that Joel Pott from Athlete. Yeah. is now, I believe, a much-in-demand uh, songwriter who works with the likes of George Ezra. And as someone uh -huh. who... have, I have a lot of insecurities about the fact that, you know, comedians, we're, we're sort of... You know, there's, we don't always have the longest shelf life, certainly, you know, for live stuff and, and doing lots of live gigs gets harder as you get older and you have a family and stuff. So when I find out that, you know, musicians I've really liked have, have then moved into songwriting and become successful in that, I'm like... Artists can have lots of phases to their careers. We can grow old with dignity. We can pay the mortgage. Do you know what I mean? We can. Yes, I like doing that. I like Googling. Where are they now? Where, exactly, where are rather they? Like, than just, you know, sometimes when it's just like they now release their latest album, uh, their eighth album on their own record label, and the album doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. And you're like, no. Yeah, I'm like you. I keep going. I keep going. Like the, thr the thrills. I love the thrills. That's a very nice reference, although I couldn't really tell you much beyond the first Thrills album. Exactly. Uh, the second one was good, but after that, sweet Jesus, it dropped off. Um, what do you do? You think that? Do you think that bands? I mean, what 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 kind of received wisdom do you buy into when it comes to, you know, do you think that most bands just are at their freshest and most exciting when when they're when they're getting started, and it's just impossible to keep recapturing that? Or do you think that just as many bands do evolve and get better and better and settle into new grooves? Yes, yeah, such a. I was thinking about that a lot because I think because one example of that there's there's bands that the first album, their first albums for most bands is a backlog of say eight years of writing and playing. So that album you they rattle off mm. generally. Then the second album they might have a bit of momentum going. And that can be even better or as good. But then the third album, they, everyone talks about the different second album. I think the third album. It's has a, got yeah, to be the well, hardest. you often see, this is so specific, but 
uh, as I said, I've spent a lot of time on these sorts of Wikipedia pages. You often see that bands, they get a two-album deal. So even if the second one, as you say, may, may not stand the test of time as much, it's got the backing, it's got the momentum still. They're yeah. doing the big festival gigs off the back of the first album. And yeah. it's actually, you, you get a bit of grace period before before the petering out can begin. And I'm so interested by how... You know how you beat that essentially if you're in a band, and how you how you evolve, how you pick up new people, don't lose the old ones. I think to be honest, from a noughties onwards uh, timeline, the Arctic Monkeys are the most interesting one. Oh, because... so I would say that. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Kasabian as well. I think uh, I, I'm going to say that I don't think Kasabian are as good an example. And that's okay. not just because I'm trying to distance myself from Kasabian in light of recent revelations about the, their personal lives, because that doesn't change the fact that they've got some, written some great rock songs over the years. And it has taken on a slightly more, you know, maybe electronic hue uh, in recent albums. But it's still quite sort of, you know, it, it's been quite rocky all the way through. Whereas, I don't know if you've listened to the most recent Arctic Monkeys album from a couple of years ago, but it's a sort of concept, uh, sort of jazz lounge album about living on the moon. Retired and, rock stars living on the moon. Exactly. And it made yeah. people it made people very, very angry. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest, I am... Um, uh, as you say that, yeah, the first... I would say, yeah, the Arctic Monkeys, if you go for their albums, the first album is... A classic British, you know, classic first album stands the test of time. It's going to be in there with the top fifty albums forever. Yeah. It's so One funny. And the second album is a really, really good album. Then the third album is sort of all right, and then you could say, and then you, like you say, they're going through that journey. Then and what happened? They could have easily the Arctic Monkeys could have very easily just dropped off completely, like other bands. But the album after that, Suck It and See, I think is a brilliant album. I love Suck It and Absolutely See. Absolutely love it. But then the album after that, I think, is their best album, even better than their debut, AM. I think I mean that's I think AM is is you've got to I mean, they all have something to admire. Just the balls on the lads. But yeah, the second one I love and I remember being sort of a teenager and just not being able to believe that they'd made it that quickly. And I know any, you know, maybe all the listeners and people who remember how many albums the Beatles put out might say that was the norm back in the day, but it, it, not it was, in the noughties. Yeah. The second no. Arctic Monkeys album, which was so beefy and confident, they were still, I think, teenagers or just, you know, maybe turned 20, and it came out like a year later. And it was yeah. so good. And the third one was a bit of a dirge. And the fourth one had some beautiful, so I love Suck and See, but it's still not that commercial. And then the fifth one was like, we, we would like to headline all of the festivals again. So here are some massive, massive radio-friendly yeah. rock numbers. And Every then the song could be a single. Like, We're bored of that now, so yeah. <laughs> we, let's, let's lose all those new fans again. I've got to admit, I uh, the sixth album, I'm one of them. It didn't make me angry, but I was... Uh, because I, I loved AM so much. AM was, yeah. And I think the fact that... The fact that they were they were sort of clearly able to do something like AM with relative ease. The fact that they made five, they took five years over the one after it, and it sort of feels like it could have been a solo album. But as I say, you don't get to question, you know, with, with, with the likes of, and I'm going to take a big leap from the Arctic Monkeys here to a true legend. But you know, with your David Bowie or, yeah. or whoever it is, 
you only get the evolution because of the you know because of the risks and if, yeah. you're, if you're getting pissed off, that probably means that something truly amazing is about to be around the corner. Or Radiohead, I suppose, another real modern cliche of that. Yeah. But, yeah, with, with David Bowie, you get the, uh, the, um, the benefit of nostalgia and time to go, he took these risks. But, yeah, at the time, people were probably going, fucking hell, four years, and this is what he's done. <laughs> you forget that. Yeah. Yeah, the Arctic Monkeys album... Uh, that uh, that last album, I'm one of them where I gave it three listens and really tried, mm. but it it wasn't really for me. But I honestly, I'm not just saying this to you because we're talking about it now and it, you know trying to sound trying to be nice and and diplomatic. But I said this to my wife. I said I really don't like that album, but I really admire the fact that they've made it. The balls yeah, I think to that's make it. it. And I, and I, I love the thought of you and you you you've you and your wife having that conversation you see yeah. you being prepared to separate your instinctive feelings and your respect for them as artists yeah it's like it's like <laughs> across the yeah, kitchen table it's like yeah they've pissed me off but fair play fair play <laughs> and you can still listen to the old ones those don't those don't get taken away no that's i imagine there. i imagine the gigs on that tour must have been fairly strange as they lurched from the as they dipped in and out mine to you know one of the one of the moon hotel ones yeah, yeah. As they go from <laughs> yeah, as they go from suck it and see to uh, there was there was a lot of very distinct bar breaks. Yeah, yes. During that, I imagine the bar got heaving at very distinct moments during that gig. But um, oh, I always find that a little bit depressing when you can sense the atmosphere change as a, as a new song is introduced. Yeah, a new song comes on, you see people elbowing past in their droves going to the bar. (laughs) Hey, guys, guys, come on. (laughs) Come on. This is all part of the journey. Stick with it. Yes, this is, is, if you're watching football, this is just some of the build-up play in Mm. midfield. But um, or, I like the build play. Sometimes this, this is the whole rubbish relegation season you need to go through so that next season's promotion will be all the sweeter. Better example, Ivo. Better example. This this is why you're doing the TV stuff. Well done. Well, as a Swindon fan, relegation seasons are never far from my mind. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I uh, Arctic Monkeys. So when did you? Um, because they're a bit. They're one of the bands that that that's how I felt with Oasis. I felt like uh, like your parents generation had the Beatles and stuff like that and older brothers and older people going on about Nirvana and the Smiths and all that and then finally you get your band that you're like yeah but this is for us and this stands up to all of that and after Oasis I was like you know like I feel happy I can talk down to you Ivo that I know more about music than you because I'm older (laughs) and I've got Oasis do you know what I mean that kind of attitude I think that's fair enough yeah, but for you, then you got Arctic Monkeys, and then suddenly you can go. That's for you. That's what that must have been like. And for me, Arctic Monkeys was one of the first bands that were younger than me, and for a younger generation than me, that I was like, oh fuck, that'd have been great to be a teenager listening to them. That's the first time I felt that. I remember listening to the lyrics like um, uh, uh, Reebok, Reebok Classics, Naka Converse, and. Tracky, Tracky buttons, buttons tucked in socks. socks. Going, fuck, if you're a teenager now, that'd be like, that's that's me and my mates. No, that'd have been amazing. Can you remember getting into the Arctic Monkeys? Um, How you got into them? 
Yeah, very much so. Although, again, I can't claim sort of full identification, I think, either from an age or stage perspective. I mean, sure, they, I, I grew up with them and have, have uh, you know, I suppose even, even sort of lazy things like being, you know, roughly the same generation. But actually, I, uh, I wasn't on MySpace, which was the sort of massive thing of all their demos being on there and people finding out about them before they even released anything officially. I think I probably, yeah. you know, I got the demos, as I say, eventually, but um, but I didn't have that live feeling of being plugged into their sort of secret fan community at that very specific moment in time. I was um, doing my Latin homework at boarding school, so I wasn't, <laughs> you know, queuing for nightclubs and arguing with bouncers and all the other stuff that they, you know, observe so wryly on that first album. Again, you know, yeah. I vaguely understood it, and I can, I can, I can understand it a lot more now. But they weren't speaking to me uh, about about my life as a, as a teenager because I was just trying to get uh, get the A star that I'd assured my dad that I would. Um, that that sentence there was everything I hoped this podcast with you would be. <laughs> Good talking about the Arctic Monkeys queuing up for nightclubs. You were doing your Latin homework. That was exactly why yeah, I hoped well, this could it, be. I've, I've, I think I've settled into a groove over the years of, of talking uh, in, in fairly broad brushstrokes about how my boarding school <laughs> life was not the same yeah. as an Arctic Monkeys lyric. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I stood in some very long nightclub queues at university and I sung writs to the rubble to myself then, but it was too late. They'd moved on to more wistful material by then. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think also there's, you know, I hadn't really been to gigs by that point, although I saw them at a festival on the sort of in 2007 when Favourite Worst Nightmare had just come out. So I did, that was one of the Ooh, first nice. and most exciting gigs I ever went to, but it was still, um, that it was a bit good. It was, it was very brilliant, big but it then. was, it was, yeah. a, it was a, <laughs> again, it was in, it was at a music festival in Switzerland because uh, my family lived in Switzerland at the time uh, because of my dad's work in the financial sector. So it wasn't even like I saw them headline Reading or, <laughs> you know, I, I saw them playing a mid-afternoon set right. to right. a load of detached Swiss music fans who they probably weren't giving it their best for. <laughs> this, again, again. You know, to put this in perspective, I've had like Steve Gribben on here talking about he was in a band that supported the Pogues before they were called the Pogues. Right. Ben Norris talking about going to damned concerts with skinheads. And you're now talking about seeing the Arctic Monkeys in Switzerland because your dad works in the financial sector and lived in Switzerland. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed that sentence as well. Oh, thanks oh. Oh God, that was good. I'm glad to to deliver on expectations. That was exhilarating. That that sentence. I remember really that. Was. I remember being there, partly yeah. thinking, I can't believe I'm uh, whatever yeah. I must have been, 16 years old, watching the Arctic Monkeys at the peak of their powers, or yeah. as it turned out, the first of their many peaks. Yes. Um, you know, and without even my parents, who were uh, an hour away in Zurich. But I um, <laughs> but I, there was also part of me going, this isn't really watching the Arctic Monkeys in the truest sense. I even remember thinking, because could, you could get really far forward, because Swiss music festivals are so well organised and people are so respectful and diplomatic and neutral. Uh, you know, it clears very neatly between each act. So you could get quite far forward. So we were basically on the barrier. But even then I was thinking, in possibly quite an ungrateful way, I was like, we shouldn't be able to be this close. It shouldn't be like this. <laughs> You know, yeah. and uh, 
I think seeing anyone in the mid-afternoon uh, at a festival is not quite the same as as it being a sort of a proper gig somewhere like Brixton Academy or indeed the Sheffield Leadmill. Imagine watching them in Sheffield. Oh, yes. I um, loved Lincoln Park at the start, 2000. They're one of them I got into straight away. That first album was one of them where it's just every song on this, like Arctic Monkeys, every song on this is great. And then there hadn't been albums like that for a while. The mid-90s pomp of Oasis, that's what it was. Every song on an album has to be great. You can't get you can't get away with a couple of good singles and a load of filler, and then there, there was not many albums like that for a while. You do and, see the late nineties written off a lot in, ter- yeah. in sort of music history, particularly British music history, as just sort of the death of Britpop and the fading a lot of those great bands, and not a lot of stuff coming through, and a lot of sort of bedwetter bedwetter indie like Travis, who I who I loved, but I do uh, see a sort of you know not not the most rabble rousing. Again, we completely agree again. Yeah, tra- that some of those bands got lumped into that really unfairly, like Travis, Stereophonics, mm. and stuff where you think they're fa- they've got I absolutely love Travis. And that that's unfair because they were their early stuff is more and they supported Oasis. Yeah, but then, it's the first Travis album, uh, which a lot of people don't even know exists. Uh, it's it, very rocky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, there's, a, there's a song about fancying a teenager. You know, yeah. it doesn't get more rock and roll than that. No, that's 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 right out of the books of Chuck Berry and Elvis being a pedo, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Chuck Berry, <laughs> Elvis, and Travis always in the yeah. same sentence. But you do surprise me with Linkin Park because the stereotype around that, not to not to you know lecture you about your own passions, is no. that it's you know angst for for you know teenagers or or, or you know emotional you know, young young men and women. And I think that I was, I mean, I wasn't a particularly angsty teenager, but it sort of fitted the kind of, I don't have to listen to my parents, you know, music in the car anymore. I can put my headphones in and listen to a man shouting. Yeah, yeah. that was what I quite enjoyed. Whereas you as a, as a, as a you know, as a, as a cool young man who'd presumably just just moved to London and could start going to live gigs. Well, not, not quite then. I was, when 2000, it was when I still lived at home and working in a factory. Oh, so right. Was, well, then so, in that so case, the angst, angry. Is, the angst is perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, I wanted to get out of this factory, go to London and be a stand-up. Everything you say and do, <laughs> one step closer to London. I'm about to break. <laughs> so it's perfect. Uh, oh, what an album! And um, it's, it's such a good album. And actually, the second oh, here we are again on second albums. Yeah, the second Linkin Park album, um, which was one of the first albums I, I sort of was excited to buy in a shop, and I think therefore emotionally invested in even more. Yeah, I think there's some there's some colossal songs on that. Yes, uh, there's a song, song called Faint, which starts with this sort of jerky uh, electronic violin. And I played it to my mum, who has, you know, obviously a million qualities as a mother and a person, but is not a music fan, really, even of some of the nice stuff that my dad has tried for decades to get her into. So you thought so, Linkin Park would be the way to go? I was on a yeah. highly delightful Linkin Park. But at the age of 13, I said, oh, um, mum, uh, this one's actually got a bit of violin. Like I was, you know, teeing up some brahms. You've got a sort of... 10 seconds of right at the top and then Chester's yeah. ranting again. 
Wow, you really thought you could lull her in with that. It's a bit of violin before he shouts. I remember her saying, I sort of uh, see, see what you mean, but um, it's still a bit much for me. And, and fair play. That was a fair, fair mother appraisal, I think. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that second album was absolutely great. And then the th- uh, I think it's the third album. Yeah, Minutes to Midnight. And then we're on our Minutes to Midnight, which was released either in 2006, 7 or 8, which you're going to we, put we, into the podcast. We're yet to it. confirm. but uh, And then Jay-Z, that era was where I sort of lost interest a bit. Well, that was probably where I got off the bus as well, but less because I felt that the quality was dropping, but more because I think I'd, uh, it was suddenly it was all about my enemy subscription and my you know guitar band in skinny jeans. The, the appeal yes. of a an American six-piece with their own in-house DJ suddenly didn't mean quite as much to me. <laughs> well put, well put. But then, yeah, but then the last album, Linkin Park's last album, is absolutely brilliant. And I got into it and bought it and just started getting into it just before he died. Mm. So I had got into it, but... Yeah, even before he died, it's a brilliant, brilliant album. My two, I've got some funny footage of my two sons in the back of the car uh, while my wife's driving, filming them, um, mosh, moshing their heads. Really? To oh, Park. that's lovely to hear. I've got to say, but, of, you know, of the many things I've enjoyed communing with you about today, hearing your commitment to sticking with bands and rediscovering bands, you know, past their, you know, commercial or, or, or artistic uh, peak... I think is is it's one of the great qualities in a, in a music fan. Yeah, good. Point. Let alone yes. getting your sons to mosh to it. I can't. Well, in a way, I can't because people. Um, what you said about Arctic Monkeys, sort of, some is a good point about you didn't you got into them, but not like as in you're on MySpace and there's not that many. Everyone after the fact claims that as a band got big, they were like <laughs> they were like there as there was mm. twelve people in a pub watching very few people were most of us get into bands after the or just after the cusp of them i being don't think i've seen any bands before they were massive or at least before they were quite big i've never been on the inside like that no me neither even well my paolo nutini but i don't know pa- yeah of course your paolo nutini anecdote will oh yeah you, but, oh. if you can find that demo then uh, you know you'll never have to do a comedy gig ever again yeah well, that's heartbreaking that we can't find that um bad. yeah and i don't remember a second of the gig as well so that's bad and apparently i sat at the bar chatting with newton faulkner and don't remember that either <laughs> it's, a, how, it's how, turning into quite a name drop heavy podcast i know but how can you not remember that it's quite a distinctive looking chap i sat having a cup of tea with him at the oh, bar hang on. you mean you can't remember that but you've been told that's that's what you did yeah i, I remember my wife saying oh he's one of the musicians on tonight i was like all right mate yeah, Faulkner just... is going to stand out a little bit more in the in a crowded uh, would... Bedford bar. You would than think a teenage Natini. I have no memory of it, but um, but yeah. So Lincoln Park, absolutely lovely because they're like because their last album is yes, yeah, really melodic and the sort of some some of it sounds quite indie indie guitar rock, and then it will go a bit heavier and that. But I love that. There's a bit of everything in it, and I I am a sucker for shouty singing with rapping entwined love it mm. um but you I, fell away and, and having and got, got your boys indie. excited in it did you did you then say well if you like that listen to this and then take him back to take him back to 2001 oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I can't back. wait to force my music tastes on my daughter. It is uh, it's one of the most tedious things you can do as a parent. But I, when it works, and I'm you know I do have this, if I say so myself, adorable relationship with my dad where we're mostly into the same sorts of things, and the and the cloning process has broadly been a success. So if I can get <laughs> if I can get as much uh, mid noughties indie rock into my daughter's you know whatever whatever her whatever means she can consumes her music by in 10 years time as my dad did with his sort of 80s 70s prog and then 80s sort of soft rock essentially well normally that's why i ask at some point what do you remember growing up hearing and what so what did your dad what did you what do you remember bonding over musically with your dad what do you remember my dad has a uh an admirably eclectic music taste and he's still trying he's still you know keeping his hand in every year he uh you know he goes to roger he buys a few more albums he makes a compilation cd at the end of the year of his favorite tracks of the year he gets very stressed in the autumn <laughs> if he's feeling that that year's compilation cd is looking a bit light so he'll, yeah, yeah. he'll sort of complain that he's not got into enough new music or that or the, crucially that often that we haven't recommended him enough good stuff or occasionally he'll even say which i think is the most arrogant thing you can say in particularly in this age of you know everything being available he'll say maybe it's just been a bad year for music you go, no, I, think, I think you're not digging enough yeah 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 i like the thought of your dad going in the music shop going roger you gotta help me out here you gotta help me out it's, it's october and i've still only got four tracks for the for the company i've got to hit 80 minutes on the cd otherwise and i failed two of these are yeah. described as filler yeah, Roger, yeah, you've got to no give me if he's got more than two or three songs by the same artist then he's essentially that's that's not making a compilation cd no that's just, that's just whittling down an album you've enjoyed that year so <laughs> it's inevitably getting a little bit more um middle of the road i mean to be fair as mine is already but you know there's a, there's a, there's a bit more you know sort of folky sort of gentle rock stuff but oh, some yeah. of the stuff that he was, you know, and he played in bands when he was a teenager and sort of played along to sort of quite proggy stuff. There's a, a Dutch band called Focus who have a, um, an iconic, uh, a, iconic and famously very difficult song to play, as Dad has often said. They just couldn't keep up with it, but they tried their best, um, called Hocus Pocus, which was used in an amazing, I think, Nike ad for the World Cup about 10 oh. years ago with, you know, Rooney and... Cannavaro and people like that I only say it in that Italian accent because there's this sort of whole Italian opera singer stage to the advert but never, never mind anyway yeah. <laughs> um, so he loved he, he, I think he played he played in bands and played some quite weird and heavy stuff and is a big fan of um, you know high concept stuff like tubular bells right and then by the 80s it's you know mainstream rock like U2 it's his favourite band the Waterboys mixture oh, of oh i had a housemate that sort of celtic folk yeah played that to death i had a housemate that really that's, that played that to death that Waterboy song and still now the whole of the I'm, moon yep yeah, and i could still and he must have played it every day for months and still now if it comes on i go oh yes you know oh that's nice because usually if you've got a housemate that you know plays something into the ground if it's not your choice you'll end up resenting it so I'm oh, you do, it... you do, yeah. I had that with. Uh, it took me a long time to get into Elbow because I had a housemate that played that album to death. Played who? Elbow. Elbow, yeah. <laughs> the, the the line cut out for a millisecond, so I wasn't sure whether it was Elbow or Elvis. No, oh, right. <laughs> no. Two, Elbow, two, yeah, two yeah. Very similar back catalogues. But yeah, yeah. I, um, 
but uh yeah the water boys yeah brilliant i mean i got so, my dad a t-shirt this christmas a water boys t-shirt saying you saw the crescent i saw the whole of the moon <laughs> well, <laughs> such a my christmas presents to my dad have become such like lazy nostalgia triggers essentially it's either a reissue of, a, of an album he loves from 20 yeah. years ago with a few sort of new unreleased demos or it's like literally just a t-shirt um this one didn't even fit so it was not a successful christmas uh, that t-shirt is mainly about the sentiment isn't it, it well, i don't I think it's it... about the sentiment because uh because it's also about my father's exposed midriff um, yeah <laughs> he's too tall for Waterboys merch <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't think he would have worn that anyway would he but uh... i think it well we listen we went to watch the Waterboys together in trowbridge uh in 2006 and we, but one of the reasons I bought the T-shirt for him is because we both, I mean, like we were teenagers, which to be fair, I was, we, we, we wrote Waterboys lyrics on like plain white T-shirts and, and wore them around the festival as if, like, <laughs> as if we'd, we'd sort of pioneered our own niche, uh, a sort of folk merch. So I thought, come on, Dad, just, you know, we're very proud of our own stuff, but here's, here's some official Waterboys stuff. Oh, it's too small. Never mind. But that was probably, my dad always talks about that as, as you know, one of, one of the great days of his, certainly the last 20 years, was going to Trowbridge to watch the Waterboys, and they smashed it. And there was also a Scottish singer supporting them called Karen Polwart, whose albums he then bought, and we listened to in the car all summer. And one of Karen Polwart's songs is now one of his Desert Island Discs. Um, oh, which nice. the invitation from the BBC has not been forthcoming no. for my dad to reminisce about a career in the financial sector um, interspersed <laughs> with various prog rock songs from the 70s and folk rock songs from the noughties. But, but, yeah, but I'll tell you what, he's ready to go. Well, listen, that, uh, that call uh, are you ready to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not actually ready to go. I love Desert Island Discs. It would be, you know, the ultimate career goal. But I find it quite hard to narrow it down. Whereas my dad, he's got the eight in his head and occasionally one will get replaced. One got replaced yeah. just a few weeks ago for the first time in years, very excitingly. And he'll let I, me know and he'll say, I've got a new one on the Desert Island Discs now. And then we'll talk about which one had to make way for it. That's what I could just, I imagine the phone call. You get that's a phone it. call from your dad. Hello, dad. Everything all right? Is mum all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah never mind fine. about her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need to talk about my uh, the lineup. <laughs> Things have changed, Ivo. Things have changed since you've been away. Well, that's the thing. His latest one is, is from this uh, lovely um, American folk singer called Samantha Crane. And it's a beautiful song. But on the Desert Island Discs... I don't think he could have that and the Karen Polwart song because they're obviously mm. they've both got their own individual personalities and charm. But, you know, are you, are you going to knock out a Talking Heads live version, which is one of his other ones, to make room for a second, you know, campfire folk ballad? I don't know. These are the difficult choices you have to make. But I tell you what, I've, uh, from this podcast, we've talked about a lot of bands. We've, talked, we've agreed on a lot of music. But what I've taken mainly is how much I like your dad. From this oh, podcast. listen, if you want to get him on next week, he would be delighted. I th you know, if this, would, if this would make him happy to be on this podcast, if he's not getting Desert Island discs, <laughs> I'm well, happy to have Ivo Graham's dad on. <laughs> but I'll only do it if he promises to do the whole podcast in an ill-fitting Waterboys T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of no benefit for the listeners whatsoever, but just a lovely mental image all the way through. But it'll make me happy. But... Um, Ivo, we'll have to get your dad on. 
and you'll have to come on again because I feel I feel there's more. There's more. We've we could scratched talk the about. surface, haven't we? But that's the you know. Um, Often do with with music. If you've got several decades of being into stuff, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of very niche anecdotes out there. It's been a pleasure to discover all the overlaps. I expected the Arctic Monkeys. I did not expect Linkin Park. Wonderful no. stuff. Yeah, no, no. Uh, Arctic Monkeys. Just to finish on, uh, I reckon then. It's a tricky one, but uh, a favourite Arctic Monkeys lyric, if you can think of one. I'll tell um, you mine. I'll tell you mine while you have a think. Well, one please. of mine, just to sum up why they're so great. I've mentioned this song before. This is a lyric from a song I've mentioned before and a lyric from that. This is a different lyric from the same song. The bit in uh, Suck It and See, the song Suck It and See, where he says... She's rarer than a can yes. of dandelion and burdock, and those other girls are just post-mixed post lemonade. lemonade. <laughs> wow, that is... It's such a lovely song, and I, again, I felt it in my heart, in my bones, even though I'd never drunk dandelion and burdock or post-mixed lemonade, and very occasionally I'll see him in a shop and go, oh, there we are. Yeah. This one's, this one's for you, Alex. You, um, felt, uh, you felt those lyrics deep in you as you, as you glanced as longingly out the window doing your Latin homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's a later era, but uh, but it but, still um, stands up. Yeah, can you? Uh, well, is there other bits of the early albums you remember? There was. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm obviously going to. Um, I'm now going to sound like someone who's you know now never heard an Archie Monkey song and is bluffing by saying oh, there's too many to choose from. No, there but, is, though. Um, you're right, because there are, because his lyrics, you're right, you are right, because there's so but also, many there's, lyrics there's in a stuff song, goes into them. And actually, the moon one, as I'm going to keep calling it, even though I, was, I know it's called Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, um, of course you that's do. got some really, really lovely, uh, lovely lyrics on it, and you- um, there's, uh, oh, I can't, there's, there's one about, um, about horse racing, which has got a lovely, like, sort of backstory about how, like, his, the lyric was gifted to him by his granddad. I thought that was very cute. But let's go all the way back to the beginning, literally, and say that anticipation has a habit to set you up for disappointment uh, is one of the great opening lines to a debut album, surely of all time, particularly one as massively hyped as that album, to start track Good one choice. by saying, you've anticipated this and you, you, you might well be disappointed. But you won't yeah. be, because it's brilliant. I just, even, again, I, I thought that was, I thought that was the height of cool. Good, but I've never even as noticed as I, as I translated that. translated the Odyssey. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> I've never even noticed that. That's such a good point. Brilliant choice. Lovely. You, well done. Oh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Ivo. Thank you very much for coming on. And I it was lovely to talk to you, and also to get a couple of glimpses of the uh, of the extended bird household. Best of luck yeah. to all of you. Yeah, you can you can sense it's uh, it's fucking hard going. <laughs> As um, best of luck with the rest of the lockdown, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put you in touch with my dad. Oh yeah, of course. I, I feel I feel when you say you'll put me in touch, you're going to give me his address, and it's going to be a handwritten letter. You'll have to go through his PA, but you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> A podcast from producer Paul UK. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.